0: This is so weird. This is the weirdest. I mean, we just have to, we have to hit it. We have to own it. We have to acknowledge it. Have, this is not Easter. It's raining. It doesn't rain in Southern California on Easter. And we're all cooped up. Or we're staying six feet apart. There was no sunrise service this morning. And all around us we keep hearing all about economic devastation and plague. And what I keep hearing over and over from everyone I talk to, it's the same thing, it's like, when is this going to stop? When is this going to end? And when, they, when we say, when is this going to end? When is this going to stop? We're not just talking about, you know, the, this, this quarantine, the lockdown, the, the no gathering orders. When we say, when is this going to end? When is this going to stop? We're a lot of times just talking about the virus, sickness. And when we say, when it, we, we always say, when is this going to stop? Because, man, wouldn't it be good to get back to normal? Don't you miss normal? I do. Here's some things I miss. I miss Outback Steakhouse. I know you guys think I'm crazy, but I like Outback Steakhouse. Those of you who don't know, I lived in Japan for a couple of years, and, and there was an Outback Steakhouse in Tokyo. And I lived in the boondocks. I lived about two hours north of Tokyo in the belly button of Japan. And once every couple months when I was visiting Tokyo, I would go to Outback Steakhouse, and I would have... An Australian, I guess? I don't know, an American meal, like a Western steak and potatoes. And so I will always love Outback Steakhouse. And no, it's not the same thing when you drive up and you get it delivered and you drive it to your home. It's not the same thing if you call up Postmates or Uber Eats or Grubhub or DoorDash and have them delivered to you. It's cold. I miss the beach. At this point, I even miss the horrible walk at San Onofre when you're trying to go over the rocks. As you try to get in the water. Apparently, Keir and Keegan are are still surfing. Guys, be careful, because apparently the cops are going to get you. And also, after all this rain, there's a bunch of hepatitis in the water, so stay safe. And I miss Pavillon Park. I miss watching my kids run around. I I miss... Gosh, you know, yesterday, like any time there was a sliver of light, it was like, get the kids outside and run them around. When are we going to go back to normal? Wasn't normal awesome? I've been thinking about that. I've been wondering, because, you know, we're kind of in like this grave right now, right? We're kind of, the, the whole world, it seems like, is in this in this state of just death, of sitting here, waiting, this, this grave, and like, wow, wouldn't it be great to go back to before? Well, I wonder what Jesus was thinking when he was carrying the cross through Jerusalem. I wonder if he was like me, he's like, I just want to get back and hang with my buddies again. The buddies who failed me and betrayed me. Wish I could just go back to being homeless and ignored. Humiliated and abused. We actually know what Jesus was thinking. In Hebrews twelve, two, it says this. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignored the shame. Why? For the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him and sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Jesus, as he's carrying the cross, as he's weeping in the garden, as he's anxious and exhausted and scared, as he's suffering, as he's beaten, as he's tortured, he's not thinking, man, I want to get back to normal. He's thinking, I want something way better than normal. What does that mean? You know, to sit down at the right hand of God at his at his throne. Does does God literally have like a physical throne? You know, like something you'd see in the movies, and God's sitting on one throne, and and Jesus at the right hand. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's hard to say. You know, whether or not that's literal or, or not. Maybe, probably. But whatever the case, whatever God's throne is like, it's not like anything we could possibly imagine. It's beyond. It's glorious, and we know this. We know that what Jesus was looking forward to was a life, a life of well, that, that he knew in. This the Trinity, When before coming as, as Christ, he was the second person in the Trinity. Full glory, full life, full union, full joy. Everything that life is meant to be is supposed to be. And Jesus is like, I'm going there. That's where I want to get. I want to get better than normal. And we're going to look today and we're going to see some hints about what that better than normal is like for Jesus, for us in the future, and boy, right now in the midst of coronavirus craziness. Because the life that Jesus lives in eternity is the life that he gives us in his spirit. And as the song said, the the one who's resurrected, he's resurrecting me. He's resurrecting us. He's giving us that life now. And we're going to see that instead of waiting till we get out of of coronavirus lockdown and going back to normal, instead, we're going to go forward. We're going to go to better than normal. We're going to go to resurrection life. And it is going to be better and good and different and glorious. And so join me. Let's look, let's look at Jesus. Look at, look at these, the, his resurrection is such an, an interesting, uh, way it's told. It's, it's told in very, very odd ways. This is, uh, this is from Luke 24. While they were saying these things, this is the, uh, the disciples. They're talking about, uh, hearing about Jesus' uh, appearances. Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were terrified and afraid. They thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, "Why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Touch me and see. For a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, like you see I have." As he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. The Greek there is kind of funny when it says Jesus Himself stood among them. It's almost like uh, it's like they were in a circle, and then Jesus, like, whoop, popped up. It's, it's a very, cause to stand is usually the dictionary definition for that word still, but it's like, it's like Jesus like, whoop, here I am. And, and if you're, if you're following the story, you're like, wait, how, how is that possible? How did Jesus do that? Uh, aren't they in a room? Don't you sort of have to use doors in the real world? So, so there's this like ghost-like, a uh, uh, way in which Jesus' resurrection life is is different from his his uh, pre-resurrection life, but he's also Jesus, right? He's like, look at my hands and my feet. Touch me, see, right? And He showed him his his hands and feet. So it's it's still Jesus. He's human being, but man, he's better than human. He's like a Marvel superhero. He he no wall can stop him. Like Incredible Hulk, smash it down. Well, in his case, he's just. So he's, he's somehow, he's human, he's physical, he's like us, and yet he's more than that. And walls don't stop this Jesus. And you almost get the sense that whatever pre-resurrection life was like for Jesus, it was basically Prison. I mean, here's here's Jesus, the, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, God in flesh, and yet deprived of so much of what it is to be God, so that he can humble himself to be like us, to represent us. I know a lot of us feel like we're in prison right now. You don't know what you're missing until you miss it, you know? The question is, you know, what, what, what happens when we get out of these prisons? Are we going to go back? Go to Outback Steakhouse? Go to Sano? Just be grateful like nothing ever happened? There's a picture of Chuck Colson. If you know Chuck Colson, Chuck Colson uh, started Prison Fellowship in 1976. It's the world's largest uh, ministry to prisoners, Christian ministry to prisoners, and, and, and advocates for prison reform. Chuck Colson's famous amongst Christians for this, but uh, that's not how Chuck Colson's usually remembered in the world. Uh, he was born in 1931, he served in the United States Marines, retired as a captain, moved into politics, went to, he became like, I think, the secretary of the Navy or admiral secretary, I don't know, something. He was involved in Washington and the military. And he was known as ruthless and brutal. Uh, it was said of Chuck Colson that, um, if, if he had to, he'd run over his grandmother to get the job done. Now, in the world of cutthroat D.C. politics, that, of course, is not a bug, but a feature. And uh, President Nixon really liked what he saw in Chuck Colson. So, during his time working uh, for the White House, Chuck Colson was involved in starting what's called the Hard Hat Riot in 1970. He, uh, Kind of instigated some union members to start beating up students. He uh, he, he he thought he wanted to firebomb uh, the Brookings Institution, uh, so that he was worried that they might have some dirt on Nixon. So he thought if we burn the building down while the firefighters are coming, we can come and steal the incriminating evidence. He was known as Nixon's hitman during the Watergate scandal. He was one of the principal uh, kind of actors in covering up what had happened. In fact, he was indicted in 1974. He eventually pled guilty uh, to some lesser crimes, but pled guilty nonetheless. Before he was indicted in 1973, a friend introduced him to Jesus through C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And while he was in prison for a year or two, Chuck Colson poured over scripture, he prayed, and he got the sense, he was like, when I get out of these four walls, I don't want to go back to normal. I don't want to go back to being a hatchet man. I don't want to start any more riots. Instead, he looked around at his fellow prisoners, and he saw the abuses, he saw the hopelessness. And he said, what I need to do is once I'm once I'm out of here, once I'm past this, once these walls no longer own me and dominate, I'm going to break down walls. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to serve Jesus and see the walls that are holding these prisoners, see them crumble, see them broken down. I'm going to share Jesus with them and show them that even if they're incarcerated, they are still free. That his love penetrates, it overcomes, and nothing can stop it. And just as Jesus was you, you was confined by walls during his earthly life, and his post-resurrection life, walls didn't stop him anymore. And Chuck Colson said, I'm going to live that eternal life now, that resurrection life. I'm not going to let the walls of prisons stop me any longer. And that same life that animated him, that brings hope and joy to to prisoners all over the world every year, that same life, that same freedom is available to us now. And we have to ask ourselves, when we get out of this grave, when we resurrect out of coronavirus lockdown grave, when we come out, when we're resurrected, are we going to let the walls that have been owning us continue to own us? Or are we going to say, no, God's spirit is bigger, more powerful, and the resurrection life of Jesus breaks them down? The first thing in your notice know, is, when we're resurrected, walls won't confine us. And that's true in a physical sense, it's true in a spiritual sense, it's, sp- it's true in a, a sense right now, we're confined at home. But when we're free again, when our resurrection happens, we have to go back and look at what normal was and say, those walls were horrible. Right now, we're already sensing it too, we're sensing it too. Like, I'm communicating with people right now, how do you communicate now in the middle of coronavirus? How do you communicate with people? I'm sorry. Zoom. Right. Zoom. There it is. I, am telling you, I haven't had more Zoom meeting. And the thing is, I teach on, I teach a lot of classes online, so I use Zoom quite a bit to, to communicate with my students. So I thought that I was a Zoom professional. I have become a Zoom, like, lord now. Because it's like, I, every, I, I don't even have normal conversations anymore. It's like, if I'm face to face with someone, I'm like, I don't know what to do here. Put you on a, on a screen where you belong. That's, that's what I've become. Because suddenly, in the middle of this, you know, this grave that we're living, everyone's like, wait, I miss people. And like I I I want to be with people how am I going to do it let's go on zoom but that's indicative of something it's indicative of the fact that that back during normal times we weren't getting in each other's lives we were avoiding it and now when we have no choice we're like this is wrong and we're going to have a choice when we come out. Are we going to embrace the spirit life that's wall that invites in, that hosts? Are we going to start getting involved in each other's lives? Are we going to start developing Bible studies? Are we going to start being present to each other? Are we going to grow together? Or are we just going to keep the status quo? Let's just go back to normal. That was comfortable. That was Easy. This is cool. This is from John 20, another uh, resurrection account. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord, but he replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus again kind of, poof. Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in my side. The time for disbelief has ended. Believe. It's a very, very odd text, right? So, you know, one of the things to notice, these are not scars that Jesus has, okay? Notice this, when you get injured, right, when you when you get stabbed or something like that, if you develop a scar, the skin kind of heals over and there's that scar tissue that prevents more penetration. The, 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 the wound, the healing of the wound makes it so it's no longer, you know, it's visible in the scar shape, but it's not like something you can get into anymore. But that's not what's happened to Jesus. Jesus isn't fixed. He's not healed, as it were. This is bizarre because if you had an open wound, Jesus apparently has open wounds on his hands, his feet, and in his side where he was stabbed with a spear. He has open wounds. And yet, these open wounds are not killing him. Pre-resurrection Jesus, if, if you stabbed him with a spear and you pierced his, his wrist and you pierced his, his feet, he would bleed and suffocate on the cross. Post-resurrection Jesus still has these wounds, still has the stab marks from the nails, still has the stab marks from the spear, but he, he's no longer owned by them, no longer debilitated by them, no longer, he's, they don't, they don't run the show anymore. They, they don't, they don't stop him anymore but he's still got him. A lot of you know that one of my favorite theologians is Martin Luther. Okay, he's my all-time favorite theologian. I love Martin Luther. I don't agree with the man on everything, but on the basics, we're simpatico. And one of the things I love about Martin Luther is... Um, a lot of people think that the reason that he, um, they think he had obsessive-compulsive disorder. A lot of people think, looking back at his writings, what he left behind are classic hallmarks of obsessive-compulsive disorder, and his, obsess- his obsession was with sin and judgment. Now we think of obsessive-compulsive disorder as a debilitating disease, and it is. But what's so fascinating about it is that when it manifested in Martin Luther, all he could think about was God's judgment and wrath, and he couldn't get away from it. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he was a worm. And so he would beg for forgiveness, beg for forgiveness, beg for— and it was never enough. And this caused him to to come to what is one of the most foundational realizations in Christian theological history, and that is, it's not about what you do, it's about faith, and that's it. You believe in Jesus. That's it. You're forgiven. You have life. End of story. There's no add-ons. There's no refunds. There's no caveats. There's no buts. It's just believe. Now for Martin Luther, that was, that actually kind of fixed his mental illness. He, he realized instead of obsessing about what I'm going to do and what I'm, all I got to do is believe. That's all I can do. But it didn't stop him from having really, really, Difficult mental problems all of his life. But isn't it weird that God uses this wound in Luther? Something he he couldn't hide anymore. And it was through that that the gospel of grace comes back into the world. I love this about Luther because I'm, mean, you know, from time to time I try to be transparent about my own um, struggles with uh, mental illness, obsessive compulsive disorder in my 20s, um, a couple years ago, a panic attack, and a trip to the emergency room. I try to be transparent about it because um, one of the hardest things about the stuff that we're going through inside, the stuff that we can hide, is we want to hide it. We don't want it to be exposed. And I know from personal experience that uh, that just leads to really dark things. What's odd is that right now, you know, while we're in this grave, it's really easy to hide. And honestly, like, if we're being just straight up with each other, it was really, it was it was doable before the quarantine. We we functioned together. We met together. We hung out together, and we kind of we were able to paper over what was going on. Some of us can't. Some of us uh, just just you know have to, to vomit it out. And but a lot of us, maybe even most of us, are able to go through and just I get to church. I'm happy. Let's pretend like everything's awesome for an hour and 15 to 20 minutes. And then let's go back into the same rhythms, the same disasters. We think that the best thing to do is to hide the wounds, or if we can't hide them, we want this miracle to just make them go away. But there's this odd facet of our eternal life, the resurrection life that we're headed to, where we don't get to just dispose of our wounds. We keep them. And in some odd way, they they no longer have ownership over us. In the same way that Jesus' wounds no longer uh, could kill him, our own wounds will know that we'll still have them. We'll still, in some weird way, we'll still be the people that we are. We're not going to erase our histories. We're not going to erase our realities. But in some way, they no longer have ownership over us. They no longer determine everything about us. And guess what? we don't have to wait for that. You don't have to wait to your physical resurrection to have your wounds no longer define you. If the spirit of God is moving and he's resurrecting us now and giving the same life that raised Jesus from the grave, if that's happening here, we can have those wounds. We can expose those wounds. Those wounds can be transparent. We don't have to pretend like everything's fine. We can own the fact that we are burdened, we are weak, we are destroyed, and we need transformation. And we we can walk through that with each other if we want to. or we could go back to normal. We can be a place that papers over our immaturities, our weaknesses, or we can be a place where we find safety and we find a way to work through them and to walk through them together in prayer and let the Spirit of God liberate us, not disappear them, but live with them, not owning us, not defining us, but being a part of our history, a part of who we are. The second thing in your note sheets: When we are resurrected, our wounds won't define us. That can start today. It can when we come out of this quarantine. We gather in here. We have these amazing lights that you're gonna love and this awesome new AV system, when when all that happens, the, the point of it is not to have new cool stuff. Okay, The point is to help, help us as a church execute our mission. And part of that is the resurrection life where we don't get held back anymore. We don't stick in the same rhythms all the time. Instead, we're honest, transparent, we move forward. We carry our wounds, but they don't define us. Going back to Luke 24. On that same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened, uh, the death of Jesus. And while they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Uh, Dropping down, Jesus and, and the two disciples have a conversation which is really fascinating, but dropping down for our purposes. After he took his seat at the table with them, he, Jesus, took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. How odd. Uh, when it says they were prevented from uh, recognizing him, that's a typically when Luke uses the passive voice right there. Instead of they didn't recognize him, they were prevented from recognizing him, or um, they did not recognize. Instead, it's they were prevented. It's usually um, usually a divine passive, meaning that God has something to do with preventing them from recognizing. But in this case, I lean against that. I lean against thinking that God is stopping them from recognizing Jesus. And the reason I lean against it is because we have other accounts of the resurrection where people are confronted by Jesus, and again, they don't recognize him. So uh, in John, for example, Mary uh, sees him in the garden, and she thinks he's a gardener. He's right out of the tomb, and, and she thinks that he's just some guy, even though she's been with him for years. Like, how? How is? what's going on there? Well, I think that... Um, you know, part of what's happening is that, is that post-resurrection, Jesus is now being filled with the full glory of God. He's no, his, his new body is no longer confined to the old normal, right? It's better than normal. It's, it's bigger and it's wilder and it has more power, more of the divinity, more of the life of God suffusing it. And I think there's something about that that human eyes have a really hard time recognizing. I think that our eyes are weak and incapable of seeing all that there is to see. And we know this is true, by the way. If you'd like to get me an Easter gift, I would like a high-quality pair of night vision goggles. These ones have thermal overlay. If you don't know how night vision goggles work, the, the first thing that they do is they amplify all the ambient light all the light that we normally don't see. So they wouldn't work in, for example, a pitch black room. But if there's any light at all, they amplify that light and they use it with some sophisticated software to, to image what's going on around us. But, but, even better, if you have thermal overlay, you may be aware that our eyes can't perceive every part of the color spectrum, right? So what's actually out there in terms of light, we can't perceive. So we can't perceive ultraviolet light. And we also can't perceive infrared light. It's too far in the spectrum, and our eyes don't have the capabilities. But we can create camera lenses that do. And so there's this really cool thing that that they've done where they've made it so that uh, infrared light, which which is the light that's given off by heat can be interpreted into images by these goggles. And so it's really cool. You not only have this cool green screen where you see the forest, but here in this picture, all the the humans, because they're hot, 98.6 degrees, or much higher if they have coronavirus, uh, they they pop out on the screen with with the, the orange. All this to say that we human beings... Know that our eyes are in fear. We know that our eyes aren't quite perfect; they don't work exactly right. And 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 beyond just like not being able to see light, our eyes are actually influenced by the things we believe. If you can believe it or not, the the neuroscientists have done tons of tests on this, and we know that our physical perception is dramatically influenced by our pre our prejudices. They have all these great experiments, and and you can do one where like, you know, uh, a word will be repeated in a sentence. But if it's at the end of the line and at the beginning of the line, you'll just skip right over it. You'll just, you're, you're, as you're reading, you'll, you won't even notice it's there. It's, it, it, and they've done studies. It's invisible to you. You literally do not perceive it. It's filtered out from your vision because your brain is explains to you what should be, what can be, and so it helps you skip over stuff that shouldn't be. And I think that there's something very much like that going on with Jesus' resurrected body. In fact, the bodies that we will have in the resurrection, they, they're, they're better than normal. They're beyond what this world thinks is possible. They're greater. They're more alive. They're more glorious. They're more filled with, with truth and reality. They're as real as real can be. And and our brains and our eyes, we just, we, we gloss right over it. And so Mary and the two disciples, they're standing where Jesus, they're talking with Jesus, and they can't see him. For who he is, but you notice in the text. In the text, as soon as Jesus breaks bread with them, they see him. What an odd thing! Maybe it's because they're so used to eating with Jesus that the, the familiarity of the action uh, uh, reveals him to them. Maybe it's that when Jesus is serving the food to them, they they're, they think right back to the Lord's Supper, and they're like, wait, this has happened before, and then they see him. Or or maybe it's that there's, there's something about table fellowship and being with somebody where you start to know them and be known by them in a deeper way than beyond just looking and seeing. It's hard to know. Maybe it's all of those things. But the point is, when this action takes place of eating together, of sharing, really, communion together, the bread and, and the wine, they see him. But here's the problem. The problem is, if they want to, they can go back to a world where there is no resurrection. They can go back to a world where they're told by the the Romans and the Jewish elites that this is how things are. And, And this new perception that they have, this new ability to see, it can be taken from them. If they start buying back into the previous old normal way of seeing the world. And I wonder if something something similar doesn't happen to us. If we could jump ahead to Lester Holt. This is Lester Holt. He is a newscaster. he is a very serious man and he will tell you everything you don't need to know about anything and if lester is the one really if lester is writers he reads a teleprompter ron burgundy if lester is the one who is telling you what the world is like all of the power of the resurrection is going to get lost because you're going to go back to that way of seeing where it's like, oh, what's most important is that little Johnny goes to good college. And I'm successful in my job and I don't get cancer or coronavirus. And that is the good life and that's all there is. What Jesus spoke to the disciples on the road to Emmaus is there's a different reality. The reality is that the Son of Man had to come and be put to death and then raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And if that's the reality, if that's the truth, if that's who we are, if that's the story we're a part of, then all the other stuff is nonsense. And if you buy into it, you can't see a thing. You'll be re-blinded. That's the next thing, last thing are note sheets when we are resurrected the world won't reblind us right now we're in our our caves we're sitting there in there in our, in the man cave in the garage and and the kids are running around and, and or, actually a lot of people are telling me their kids are just looking at their iPads all day i'm with that we did the same thing when it was raining now it's like we got to get them out but then it rains again unbelievable But whatever we're doing, we're living this life in the grave, this life, and and we're, oh gosh, I wish I could go back to normal. I wish we could go back to when we thought that the the things that we think are important are important. No! This is gut check time. This is time for resurrection life. Stop buying into the world's story about what matters. It doesn't. The meaning and purpose of our lives comes from serving and worshiping a resurrected king and imbibing his life, having it suffuse us so that we have mission and purpose. So that we are a part of his story, not him being a part of ours. And they're going to open the doors and we're going to go back and we're going to pretend like Lester Holt knows what's going on. No! I don't want normal. I want better than normal. I want resurrection. Brothers and sisters, we're at an inflection point. The rumbling is happening. The people of this country and probably all of the world are saying... We we gotta we gotta get out of here. We gotta make some changes. We gotta go back. Let's not go back. Let's go forward. Let's let's embrace the resurrection life of the resurrected king who's resurrecting us. And when we do that, let's not let the walls that have confined us confine us. Let's not let the wounds that we carry define us. Let's let's not let's not let the world re blind us to, to the way things are. Instead, let's be resurrection people. And let's spread that message. Let's live that life. Let's love each other within that. Because looking back, normal wasn't that great. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, I pray that for every one of us here, those of us who have allowed walls to come up in between, in between us, in between our relationships. If we, we, we've, we've been locked in and we, we're not out there going and, and, and getting involved in each other's lives and, and being a part of life, I pray, God, that just as the resurrected Lord was not confined by walls, that we will no longer be confined by the walls we set up. Lord, for every one of us who carries a wound and we hide it and we jealously protect it and hope that someday it goes away, God, I pray as we come out and as we are raised, as Jesus was raised, that our wounds will be exposed as his were exposed, but they won't own us and dominate us and define us. Instead, they'll be a part of our story redeemed and changed and transformed. And God, I pray that we will embrace resurrection life knowing the certainty of your son's victory over the grave that we'll stop letting the world tell us what's real. That instead we'll live in a world where resurrection is right around the corner. Resurrection is now. And that in that we'll see you and be known by you. That we'll see and be known by each other. Our resurrection life will be better than normal. In the name of the risen one who cleanses us from all unrighteousness, who brings us light in life, who breaks every chain, we pray. Amen.